Hey guys, today's episode is with Gina Conley from Mama Stay Fit. So hopefully all of you know who she is and her sister Roxanne and follow them on Instagram or a part of their community at mamastayfit.com. But today we talked about her birth stories and trigger warning. We talk about two losses, two live births and her current pregnancy. And we really talk about the evolution of Gina and Mama Stay Fit from a young 27-year-old who didn't understand how conception worked into getting to know her cycle and ovulation, birthing in a hospital at Fort Bragg where she felt like too many cooks were kind of in the kitchen and didn't have the opportunity to know what her rights were or speak up or how to move her body or even just know what she wanted or needed and how everything changed after the birth of her daughter. She went on to become a birth doula. She started Mama Stay Fit. She focuses on the biomechanics of birthing, as well as fitness and postpartum. And she tied that all together in a hospital transfer to a home birth in the middle of COVID and talks about her redemptive, amazing home birth experience and how she's planning that again for her third. It's a great episode. So let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Before we get started, I would love to have you guys in Birth Story Academy. It is premier childbirth education for your hospital birth, no matter what the birth looks like that you're planning. So medicated, unmedicated, a wait and see attitude, a belly birth, an induction, there is a module for all of it. And I have a blank name tag at your seat waiting to put your name on it. And the best part about Birth Story Academy is that I get to be your virtual doula. You go into my private Facebook group where I interact with you every single week and cheer you on as you plan and prepare for the birth that you want, no matter what that looks like. So I hope you will go to birthstory.com and enroll in Birth Story Academy today. Hey, Gina, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm good. <laughs> I'm really excited for this interview, and I know that you are very early pregnant. And so will you just start there and tell everybody who you are and about your business and how you're feeling right now? 
Okay. Um, so my name is Gina Conley. I am the owner of Mama Stay Fit, which is a company that supports uh, folks throughout their pregnancy, their birth, and their postpartum. So we offer prenatal and postnatal fitness training. We also have programming for beyond postpartum, but our uh, specialty is kind of that like 18 month type time frame of pregnancy through birth and then their postpartum period. Um, we also offer birth doula services both in person and virtually. Um, so my sister Roxanne, who helps me with the virtual aspect, and then she's going to also help me with the in-person when she moves back to North Carolina from California. Um, and so she's a labor and delivery nurse. And so we kind of combine our expertise as a birth doula and a labor and delivery nurse to um, educate folks on childbirth education. So we that's another aspect of Mama's Safe Fits. We have the fitness aspect, and then we also have the birth aspect. So it's kind of like full spectrum support. Um, our childbirth education courses are focused on teaching you like the science of birth so you can understand what is actually happening in your body. We go over like labor biomechanics, so how does the pelvis open, how do different movements help you throughout labor. And we find that like folks like really respond well to it. Um, they say we don't have a lot of fluff within our <laughs> within our courses. Um, we're just like, a little bit more direct. We're both from New York, so we're, we tend to be a little bit more direct with our communication. Folks really like our courses. We try to make them as unbiased as possible. Everyone has biases, so there's there's obviously probably still going to be some in there, but we're just trying to share people what their options are so they can better navigate their birth experiences however they want it to be, whether it's to get an epidural, whether it's to have a, a repeat or their first C-section or everything that's kind of all over the place. Like We just want them to have the tools to feel informed and to make the decisions that work best for them, not necessarily to have a specific type of birth. That's kind of what we do at Mom and Stay Fit. We offer a lot of virtual and online services. Um, so folks all over the world are able to learn from us. And then we also have our in-person facility here in Aberdeen, North Carolina, which is really close to Fort Bragg. Um, so we support like primarily a military community here um, where we offer in-person fitness training and then our childbirth education. Um, I have two kids. So my first daughter, or I was my only daughter at this point. <laughs> we'll see what this, this baby is. Um, she was born in 2017. Um, I was actually still in the army when she was born. So she, I gave birth to her at a military hospital. And then my son was born like in the middle of the COVID pandemic, um, in 2020. Um, so we actually did a home birth for him, um, because of a lot of the hospital restrictions. And I'll, I'll definitely share more about how we navigated that. Um, and then unfortunately in between our two pregnancies, we did have two pregnancy losses. So we had a missed miscarriage where, uh, my body didn't know that the, the baby stopped growing at some point or maybe never was there. We're not hundred percent sure. So we did a miscarriage at home with some medication. And then the second one was a spontaneous um, miscarriage, like shortly after we did a blood test to confirm pregnancy. Um, so they were back to back. They were a few months in between just because my husband deployed in the middle of them. So we were kind of forced to wait. Um, and then right after the second loss, we got pregnant almost right away. So, um, and then that pregnancy was definitely full of its anxiety and, I definitely saw that that anxiety kind of um, lingered postpartum a lot longer than it did with my first pregnancy. So now we're pregnant with our third, um, or I guess fifth, technically, um, hopefully third baby. <laughs> and um, it definitely feels, I feel like more confident and like comfortable that whatever happens is going to happen. Um, obviously hope that we meet our baby in September. Um, but if, if we don't meet this baby, then, you know, at least I had a little bit of time with it and we got some, we had an opportunity to celebrate um, its life at least. And um, that was something that definitely 
helped me with my previous losses was having told people that we were pregnant like really early on. Like I didn't do like huge announcements like I did for this pregnancy, um, but I was definitely telling all the people in my life like, hey, like we're pregnant, we're expecting, this is our due date. So allow a lot of people to celebrate with me, obviously not thinking that I would have a loss, but it ended up being kind of a saving grace for me where I had all these people that got to share in the joy of the pregnancy. And then they also like helped carry the grief with me. Um, so that was definitely super helpful for me. And I actually found out like a lot of my friends had had miscarriages that like didn't tell anybody. Um, and so like, I was like the first person that they had told, which was like super interesting. Um, and, and kind of like neat that they decided that I was the one that should like know that information. And it was kind of our, our way of bonding in a, a very unfortunate circumstance. Um, and so with this pregnancy, we decided that we would share it early and then I was going to share it on Instagram early because we have a pretty big platform. Um, it is re it's really like shocking that we have as many people that are interested in what we have to say. Um, and so we made a decision early on to share because we don't want there to be this stigma with miscarriage. Um, so definitely think that, um, like for me personally, with my, with my first pregnancy, I, and I'm not trying to assume what everyone else is deciding to do whenever you decide to announce your pregnancies, obviously your personal preference with you and your family. Um, the reason why I didn't share early with my other pregnancies publicly was if I had a miscarriage, like I didn't want to. That I didn't want people to know that I like had failed this pregnancy. And so it felt very like shameful and like it was somehow my fault and that people would judge me, um, which so we're trying to help remove that stigma. Obviously, I'm hoping I meet my baby in September. I'm not hoping to have a miscarriage to like set an example by any means. Um, but I know that if for whatever reason this pregnancy doesn't continue, I can kind of help combat some of that stigma about pregnancy loss because we don't have any control over it. Like it's, it's not anything I did or didn't do. It's not, oh, I didn't take these specific vitamins or I exercised too much, or it's just something that happens, which is really unfortunate. And um, I don't want people to feel like they need to hide their pregnancies with the because of the potential shame of miscarriage. Now, if they want to keep it private because that's their business, like by all means, like go for it, go for it, dude. Like it's your, it's your pregnancy. I'm just letting you know if you want to share early, share it early and you don't have to like worry about people judging you if something happens to your pregnancy. Like we, we can have like a support team. <laughs> so that was a long introduction, but <laughs> no, I think that that is so amazing what you said, because as a full spectrum doula over here, I have a lot of my clients that are following you and it's been really special that they, uh, that's actually how I found out is that your message was sent to me from one of my clients who just had her second miscarriage. And I get that question all the time as a full spectrum doula is I'm like, yes, I get to attend the birth, but I also people hire us so early on that 25% of my clients you know, there's a lot of loss every single year that happens. And sometimes it's several losses in a row. And so having a doula or someone to support you through that is wonderful. But I have found with my clients that have opened up to celebrate their pregnancies, even if they were short, that if it did occur, end in a loss, that they had a lot of community and support to, to carry them through versus this, from what I have heard from other stories, can be a lonely and dark place when you're going at it all alone or just with your partner. So 
Yeah. Essentially, it's like you can either spring in on people like after the fact and be like, oh, by the way, we had a pregnancy. Don't get too excited. It's over. Like, grieve with me. It's it's a lot to ask of somebody. Um, And so I think most of us would probably just keep it to ourselves, which is kind of what a lot of my friends had told me that they did when I had told them like, hey, I know we were pregnant and we were all really excited, but, you know, we had a loss. They're like, I'm here for you. I also had a similar experience. I hadn't told anybody. Um, so it, it kind of ended up being like a, an unfortunate bonding experience. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want people to feel afraid to celebrate pregnancies. Like they should, every moment of a pregnancy should be celebrated and every life should be celebrated. Um, so we don't have to wait until we're 12 weeks before we can be happy and excited. And, um, pregnancy after loss is definitely different than pregnancy before ever having a loss. Um, there's definitely a little bit like there, there used to be this feeling of like, Oh, it'll never happen to me. And then it does. And you're like, well, what else could happen to me? Um, so your kind of invincibility has kind of been shedded away. And so definitely have more like anxiety just in general, but I have found that this pregnancy so far has had less anxiety than my last pregnancy where it was after two, two miscarriages. So, um, so for whatever reason, I just feel more relaxed this time around. And I think maybe I'm just more like accepting of, you know, I, I, I want to meet my baby in September. And if I, I don't, well, at least we had this time together. Um, And so I had one person that shared some like really like sage advice with me. She had had two miscarriages, like pretty late on, or I guess stillbirths, um, late on in her pregnancies. And I was kind of talking to her about it. And she was like, you know, I never regretted bonding with my babies, even though I never, I never, they never like got to breathe air. Um, she's like, it was never something that I regretted doing. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's deep stuff right there. (laughs) Like, absolutely. Like, why would I, why would I regret having enjoyed the time that I had, even if it was baby control? Um, it it was not going to make it hurt any less. Yeah. Oh, I just appreciate your vulnerability and you sharing about it. My audience knows that the reason I'm a doula is because my first experience was with loss when I was 12 years old. I got off the bus and my mom was miscarrying in our bathroom. And that was part of my calling into becoming a doula. But being able to have these chats about loss and what it looks like and what it feels like, it really helps the next person that could be in that that place or, you know, and so I really appreciate you just having like, I loved seeing an announcement of five weeks pregnant, you know, because that is a vulnerable place to be able to share. And I encourage more people to follow in your footsteps. Now, Gina, before we get started, you said something that just blew my mind. You were like, I'm so shocked about how big our platform is on Instagram. I'm like, I'm not shocked at all. I mean, I love following your account. My doula clients love following your account. Hopefully all the podcast listeners will love following Mama Stay Fit. You're, first of all, you're on brand, right? Like your, your images and your graphics aren't all over the place. Like you're on brand, you know what you're going to get. And it is very hyper-focused on fitness, biomechanics, biology, physiology. Like like you said, like there's not a lot of fluff to it. And your posts, they're very easy to share also, which I appreciate, is I'm like, oh, click. And I'm giving relevant, good, amazing information 
to my followers and my doula clients by sharing your information. So I am not shocked at all by your popularity <laughs> on Instagram. I'm like, I am a big fan. So um, it's just funny to tell people that my job is an influencer. <laughs> <laughs> when I grow up, I'm going to be, you know, is your husband still um, in the army too now? Yeah, he's still active duty in the army. Um, so he, we're, he's stationed here at Fort Bragg and then we're hoping we just get to stay here for he has about eight years left of his mm-hmm. before he can retire. Um, so we're hoping we could just stay for the rest of the time. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. And you are no longer currently active. I am no longer in the army. So I got out right after my daughter was born. Um, so the military gives 12 weeks of maternity leave, which is like amazing. Probably like the one, like obviously there's lots of benefits to being in the military, but like the 12 weeks of maternity leave was pretty awesome. It just expanded like paternity leave to, I think six weeks. Um, it was three, it was 10 days when my daughter was born. And then I went to three weeks when my son was born and now it's like six weeks. Um, so it's kind of, it's really interesting to see kind of the expansion of like parental leave that the military provides, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So with a spouse who is active duty and deploys, there's no guarantee that they're going to be at your birth. Right. Like, are there you able is to like time a little it? bit of it depends. So okay. I guess I'll just go through my birth stories. Yeah. Because my husband deployed and went TDY a whole bunch of times. Yeah. Um, so my husband and I got married and then we decided that we wanted to start having a family pretty much right away. So we tried for a few months. We didn't really like it was kind of one of those moments where I realized I was failed by my like, high school health class. Right. Like didn't actually know how you got pregnant. Like I knew the like the mechanics of it but I didn't really understand my cycle. I didn't know what ovulation was. I didn't realize you couldn't get pregnant the whole month. It was just like, so sad. I'm like 27 years old and I'm like, I don't even understand my period, which I, I don't think is uncommon, which is kind of funny. Um, so I start Googling and I figure out like, oh, we, you ovulate like one time and there's like a window. And so we're, we're trying to figure it out. And um, we get, we get it on the third month and I'm like, all right. So I go and I like get a blood test because in the military for me to not have to go to like, um, to kind of be exempt from certain physical activities, I need to have like the blood test on file so that I get like a, um, we call them profiles, which is like a, a medical exemption. Okay. Um, so I go and I get that and they tell me that my, my levels are, my HCG levels are super low and they're concerned about a miscarriage. And so I get my blood tests on a few more times and then the levels are rising and they're like, actually, you're just, you ovulated really late in your cycle. That's why the levels are so low. Okay. Um, so I go to my first ultrasound, which I thought it was like 10 weeks. They tell me I'm only eight and I'm really sad because I've been super nauseous and I thought I was almost done. And I'm finding out I have another month of this to go. And, um, and I'm also like by myself in Georgia. So I was stationed in Georgia and my husband was stationed up here in North Carolina. Um, so I'm navigating this pregnancy pretty much like by myself. And, um, the initial plan was the military was going to move us back together here in North Carolina. And then they kind of changed their minds about halfway. And so I ended up just putting in my packet to get out of the military at that point. Um, but I timed it to where I would get out like after my maternity leave had ended because you can kind of pick your date. Okay. Um, so around 36 weeks, I transferred to Fort Bragg. Like I, I took like leave, which is like paid vacation. And I went, uh, I came up to Fort Bragg, um, transferred my, mater- my um, OB care to the hospital here on Fort Bragg. And that's where we ended up giving birth. Um, so I ended up t- 
taking a childbirth ed class with my husband in my third trimester. And um, it was really informative. It definitely taught us a lot of stuff that we didn't know, but it was a little on the far end of like doctors are scary. And so it kind of just ended up like scaring us a lot. Um, we felt very informed, but we were just like very like nervous um, about giving birth in a hospital now, um, which was really my only option as an active duty service member, um, just based on how the insurance works. And in our area, we also don't have very many home birth midwives. And so if you don't hire somebody, like when you pee on a stick, like you're probably not going to get a midwife. Um, so I was like well beyond like the threshold of even considering giving birth somewhere else. Does TRICARE... Um, um cover doula services? Uh, they just started in January. It is really specific to like the certification that you have, like DONA. There's like two or three certifications that the doula has to have. Okay. Um, and they only reimburse like $600, I think. Okay. Um, or maybe it's a little bit more if you do like postpartum, which is still like a lot. Something. Um, I haven't, I'm, I'm not a part of the program because um, I, I I don't know. I no longer have my like, I don't have, no longer have an active certification. Okay. Um, it just wasn't beneficial to me, like to get clients or maintain them. So spending the extra money to have their certification just seemed kind of silly. And of course it ex- expired in like September and then in January, they're like, by the way, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, when you were, you said like, you kind of went into this, pre- the first pregnancy, like a little naive to like how you got pregnant and all that kind of stuff. Did, were you on this realm after this this childbirth class of like, I should hire a doula or I should. Yeah. So I was like, I guess I should hire a doula. I guess I don't need an epidural. Like, so my whole plan was like, I just go into labor and I get an epidural and then I just give birth to a baby. Like I had no understanding at all, like of birth, which is really funny with like the knowledge base I have now. Um, and so I hired a doula, like, because my sister, who's a labor delivery nurse was also, she was in the military at this time and she was supposed to move to Fort Bragg, like my due date. And so I was like, well, if I go early, I don't know if you're going to be here and I want you to be there. But like, if I go late, then like, you'll be there. And so what I should have done, like in hindsight was, Hey doula, I'll pay you. But if my sister's here, like you don't have to come kind of thing is what I should have done. Um, but instead I just had a party at my birth. There was just, it was like too many people like talking anyways, we'll get into the birth. Um, so now I'm like really scared. Like I'm in a, I'm a different level of scared about birth now. Like for first I was scared because I just had no idea what was going on. And then I was scared because I was like afraid, like a doctor was out. Oh, cause the birth course, the birth course. Yeah, the birth course scared the shit out of me, scared the shit out of us. Um, really informative, learned a lot of stuff that I didn't know before, but then I just suddenly felt very anxious about like, oh my God, like what kind of research should I be doing on vaccines or like, what kind of research should I be doing on this and that? Like, I am like very naive, like, um, like how am I supposed to make informed decisions if I haven't done all the research on every single thing? And it's like, well, I could have informed decision making by having a conversation with my provider, but I didn't know how to do that. Like I just... I, I was given the impression that I had to do all the research by myself and then make demands. And I was like, I don't know how to do all the research by myself. Like, why can't I trust my provider is also going to provide me information that I need. I mean, I was at a pretty good hospital. Like um, the military hospital that I gave birth at has residents. Um, there's midwives. Like, so they're very much about like patient care. Nurses are empowered to like advocate for their patients and to like, so it's a good hospital to give birth in. Um, so I go into labor and so, oh, actually first I show up in my 40 week appointment and I'm still pregnant. I'm very sad about it. I was convinced I would go early. 
And the nurse practitioner like tells me like very nonchalantly, like, well, your induction date is on this. And I was like, are we not going to have a conversation about this? Like, like I would like to be an active component of my care. And she was like, well, this is your induction date. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So (laughs) like that didn't go um, well. So now I'm like super anxious for like 10 days. I'm like, I don't want to get induced. Induction is, I'm just not going to be able to go and dedicate it. If I get induced, Pitocin is so bad. Like, Oh my God. So I'm just super anxious about the whole thing. So of course I don't go into labor. And then it's like the day before my induction, I, I finally go into labor. I start having contractions and it's like the period cramping. I'm super excited. And I'm like, this is not going to stop. And so my sister's like, you know, just lay down, go to bed. And I'm like, Nope, I need to get this going. So I'm like on my treadmill walking. I'm like doing all the things. Cause I'm like, I need to make sure this continues because I don't want to get induced tomorrow. So I didn't do what I would recommend to most people, which was like, just relax. And if you want to move move, and if you're tired, sleep, I was like, nope, we're going to go, go, go. So I'm like timing them on my app and I'm like, all right, I have four minutes. The app says to go to the hospital. I'm feeling pretty good. I don't know what everyone's complaining about. So my sister's like, it's not time to go. I'm like, nope, it totally is. And my husband's like, I have no idea what's going on. And so we go to the hospital and I am two seven. And not in active labor. Like I knew I wasn't, everyone else knew I wasn't, but I was like, nope. Um, so I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to progress really fast. So we're just going to go walk around the track. So my like pregnant butt is like walking around this track, having contractions every three to four minutes, having to stop during them. Um, and then we're like, well, we're getting kind of hungry. So we go and get some food. And that's when things like really start picking up for me. And I'm like, we need to go back. And so we go back and I'm still two centimeters. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, I think I did a reel the other day where it's like the doctor tells you your son that, uh, that was me. Um, and so at this point, um, for whatever reason, like my doula was with us and for whatever reason we got like admitted and I didn't know why I got admitted, like no one had communicated it to me. And then the midwife just kind of came in and was like, we're going to start you on Pitocin. And I was like, what? Like, why am I getting started on Pitocin? Like, I don't understand. And so she just kind of said it. And then she left and I was like, Hey, like, I would like to talk to the midwife because I don't really understand like what's going on. And then she came back with like her arms crossed and she's like, I heard you want to talk to me. And I was like, I do not want to talk to you. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so it it ended up not being like a super great initial experience, uh, for what, so I later heard that this midwife was going through a lot of stuff personally, um, like her family members, some of her family members were like, ill and so she just had a lot of personal stressors um and so it kind of felt like she was like taking it out on me um the nurse I had wasn't super nice like essentially like no one was communicating to me like why they were giving me like certain interventions they were just doing them and then when I was trying to ask questions they were like really dismissive and very like mean to me and like in their like approach to talking to me and I was just kind of like well like I I guess I don't really want to talk to you um so I so at this point, it had been almost like 24 hours of being awake and having contractions. Now I'm on Pitocin. Um, they gave me IV pain meds because I was really anxious about Pitocin because I didn't really understand it. And I just was told that I should be scared of it. Um, so I got IV pain meds, just made me feel really drunk. They gave them to me in kind of a weird order. Like so two of them are supposed to be given at the same time um, and they were given separately. So what the one was supposed to help me sleep and the other one was help, supposed to help me numb or whatever. And I, I can't remember what the meds were. The whole situation was very confusing. Um, so I, I ended up just feeling like, like shit. And then, um, the IV pain meds wore off. The, I could really feel the contractions now. And I was like, Hey, can we turn this person off? And I was initially confused why I was even on because I was having a regular contraction pattern. So it wasn't like, 
oh, my contractions all over the place. They were like every like two to three minutes. Like they were regular before I even started the Pitocin. And so I was like, hey, how do I turn this off? Like, I don't want this on anymore. And they were just like, shut up. You're going to stay on it. And so at that point I have a full-blown panic attack. I'm like screaming at everybody. I don't understand what's happening anymore. And so all of this like anxiety is fueled by just straight up confusion and feeling like no one's trying to listen to me. Mm-hmm. So I have my mom is there. My sister's there. My doula's there. My husband's there. Everyone's like trying to talk to me and yell at me. And in hindsight, what I should have done was like, everyone needs to leave except for my husband. And we're just going to have like conversation right now and what's happening because I'm very I'm getting very overwhelmed by all the people in the room I'm getting very overwhelmed by what the fuck is happening right now um but I was just like I need it up a girl and so my medulla my sister like really tried to like keep me going and I, I probably went for like another hour before I was like fuck both of you like I want to I want an epidural like this is bullshit um so I got an epidural and at this point it had probably been like 26 or um, about 26 hours since my labor started. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say I was, I felt like I was in a more active labor pattern for like several hours at this point, but I was still at that point, I was like four centimeters when I got the other girl. Okay. Um, and then I took a nap. I, um, woke up at like, I think like an hour or two later and they were like, you're 10 centimeters. Do you want us to break your water? And at that point I just felt so, I remember like laying in the bed and just feeling defeated. Like you, you guys win, just do whatever you want. Like I I had no decisions at this. I I had no opportunity to make a decision throughout my entire labor. I had no opportunity to make a decision throughout my pregnancy. Like just do whatever you want. And so it just felt like such a sad moment. And it like breaks my heart when I see it in my clients, like, because I only have so much control as a doula, what happens, like, like how people treat folks. And so it like just breaks my heart when I see it in other people too. Um, so that was like, whatever, like break my water. Um, so I, uh, I ended up pushing for like two and a half hours. Um, my daughter had a, her hand up by her eye. And so they ended up giving me a episiotomy. There was like 15 people in the room at one point when I was pushing, I was like, I looked at my nurse and I had a different, a different team at this point they had switched shifts, which was, I was very thankful for because the new midwife and my new nurse were phenomenal. Like if I had had them at night, I probably, it would have been a much different experience or if I had like they kept my ass at home. Like I should have, like, it would have been a much different experience. Um, so the nurse was like, well, let me introduce you to all the people in the room that decided to come in, but didn't tell you like, that's your nurse. That's your second nurse. This, this is who I am. That's your midwife. That's the random doctor who wants to be here. Those are like three residents because you seem to be a high risk case. That's all. Like, so she started listing all these people in the room and I was just like, do they all have to be here? <laughs> Why did they think um, and then you there were was, like, high a random risk? Attending. What? Why did they think you were high risk? Because I've been pushing for a while. I think my daughter's heart rate was doing the normal thing that it does when you push. Yeah. Um, the OB was like, I think she needs a vacuum. And I'm like, what the fuck is a vacuum? I'm thinking like they're going to pull out a Dyson or something. <laughs> and, um, and I just keep hearing him say like, she needs a vacuum. She needs a vacuum. And I'm like, are you going to talk to me about it? Like, I can hear you. <laughs> um, uh, so every time, like, I'd push, I'd, like, lock eyes with him. And I'd be like, what are you going to pull out of somewhere? Like, no one's, no one else is asking me for consent <laughs> at this point. Um, so eventually my daughter was born. Um, and they cut the cord pretty much immediately. I don't know why. Because she, she was screaming and crying when she was born. She came to my chest and then was like, instantly taken and brought to the warmer. And I was like, the fuck? Um, and then they like call my husband over like, do you want to cut the cord? And I was like, how long is this cord? Like <laughs> that warmer is like 12 feet over there. Like there's no way. So 
he was just sending the cord, but it was just kind of funny that they're like, you want to come cut the cord, dad? And I was like, y'all, like, what? <laughs> um, she ended up being totally fine. Like, I don't know why they took her from me right away. I think like everyone was just like, no one explained to me things. And I think if someone had explained to me like, hey, these are our concerns right now. Like when baby is born, this is why we're going to do that. So um, obviously super happy my daughter was born, but I was still like really disappointed with my experience. Like I was disappointed. I didn't go unmedicated. Like I felt like, oh my God, I wasn't strong enough to like not get another girl. Like, man, like I had worked out the whole time. Like, why couldn't I do it? And so I was like disappointed in myself. I was disappointed in like my, like the support that I had gotten from the medical staff. Um, but then I was excited that I had the team that I had even though I was still very confused. And so overall just felt very like uninformed and a, a passive part of my birth. And I think that contributed to, towards it being a more negative experience. Yeah. Um, so Gina, I, yeah. oh, I have a question for you. How much did she weigh? Uh, she was like 6'13". 6'13". And what were you on your back with like your legs and stirrups? Oh like, yeah, what? the whole okay. time. The but whole like th- super wide, flat on my back, curling around, had an oxygen mask on. Like the pictures are ridiculous. I'm like, what on earth? Like, I don't think I switched positions at all. And I had a super strong epidural. So I felt nothing. Mm-hmm. I was like, am I doing it? Like, is that, is that it? Like, so um, I have questions though, because like, you know, I'm a 17 year veteran birth doula. So I'm like trying to push myself into that room. And I know what you do now for your job. And I'm like, oh, like if you could transplant like Gina now into that room, like how different it would be. But like, do you feel like just no, do you feel like there was just too many cooks in the kitchen and nobody was actually stepping up to advocate for you? Or do you feel like the hospital was just not listening to anyone who wanted to advocate? So I think because I had too many like personal support people, nobody knew who should take like control. Okay. Like my husband felt very confused. Like he was at the same level of like confusion as I was. My sister was under the impression that the doula was handling this and didn't also didn't really understand what was going on because no one was really informing us. My mom had like no idea. She was just excited to be there. And then my doula had just come from another really long birth. Like she like went from that birth to mine. And so I think she was a little fatigued at that point as well. Um, and was just kind of like going with the flow, like whatever's happening is happening. Um, so it was just, a, so, it was like a, a storm that had been brewing since you took that, what I'm going to call a terrible childbirth education course that set you up incorrectly. For what? Yeah. So we went to it just feeling super anxious, giving birth in a hospital, which was our only option. Like we were very anxious about every intervention because we were told interventions are wrong and bad and they're going to hurt you and your baby, which that is not the case. Like medical interventions are there to like help us. And like, yes, we don't all need every single one of them, but like it's not the end of the world. And so when you go into birth with this plan of like, we're going to do nothing but have a completely unmedicated, uninterventioned birth, but you're giving birth in a hospital, like you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. And mm-hmm. um, not to say like you can't have a super low intervention, unmedicated birth in hospital. Like I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But like, if you don't have like a birth map, like I really love the birth map um, planning instead where it's like, yeah. okay, in these situations, these are the interventions that I would like instead. This is my priority of intervention. Should we birth go down this path? So for whatever reason, I do need labor augmentation. 
this is my, this is my preference of augmentation. If for whatever reason I do need an induction, this is my preference to induction. So understanding that medical interventions are not bad, they're tools available to us if we need them. Okay, I'm going to get an epidural if this is the circumstance. So instead of having no like no paths, no plan other than like no epidural, no nothing, like I'm just going to have a baby. And then I find myself in that situation where I, I maybe I needed Pitocin, I don't know, but nobody communicated to me. And then not actually having an understanding of how to have a conversation with my care team that I had chosen. Like I had chosen to give birth in that hospital. And so I needed to know how to communicate to them. Like I needed to know how to ask questions. Like I obviously trusted them to take care of me during my birth, but I didn't know how to have the conversation with them so that I had a better understanding of what was going on. Yeah. So I don't necessarily think that they were trying to keep it from me. I think there was a lot going on, um, but I didn't know how to be like, Hey, can you just like pause for 10 seconds and just tell me what the fuck is going on? Cause we're all really confused. It's making me very anxious. I like it, this is affecting how I'm feeling about my birth because I feel very uninformed and I feel like you're just doing stuff to me. Yeah. Um, so if doula Gina can go back, that's probably where I would have been like, pause time out one. I would have taken a different childbirth education class. Yeah. Um, I would have took one that was less like fear mongering, like on the opposite end of the spectrum where it's like all medicine is best versus like no medicine. It's like, just let people be wherever they want to be. Yeah. Um, like, so first would have prepared differently, yeah. <laughs> um, which is what I did with my second birth. Um, but like at times where I'm noticing that my clients are feeling very anxious because they're confused and be like, Hey, time out. Do you understand what's happening right now? Like, no, Hey person, medical person, can you like explain to them? Like why this is your recommendation of what's going on? Obviously like I said, saying it a lot, like kind of not, not as that direct. Um, cause that can really help someone like feel more involved in the conversation. And then it can remind people like, Hey, like you don't just get to do whatever you want to do to this person. Like you have to involve them in the conversation. Um, so I think that's what I would have initially done. Like, had I been the doula for myself would have been like timeout, like, let's all have a quick, like breakdown real quick. Or I would have been like, Hey, medical team, can you all leave and let us have a conversation real quick? So I could help them better understand what their questions are. And then we will call in specific people to answer questions like that we have. Um, because there's a lot of confusion right now. Um, and then I would add to that too, don't go to the hospital until if you want to have an unmedicated yes. birth, like don't go to the hospital until you're like two to three minutes apart, 60 to 90 <laughs> seconds long. And everyone around you is nodding their head like, yes, Gina, you are in active labor. Like, yeah. So go. it's tough because our hospital is like 40 minutes away. And so I was like very anxious about this car ride, which for my sister's birth, she had her baby about two years later. It was really similar of a birth, like where it was a really long active labor and then a very fast or very long early labor, very fast active labor. Um, so she labored for 24 hours, went to the hospital, was two centimeters. <laughs> and, uh, so, but we went home, like, which is what I should have done. We went home and then she transitioned to active labor kind of when we got home and then we rushed back and she was 10 centimeters maybe out. So had I done the same thing, like we almost had the same exact timeline of birth, like started super early in the morning and then like 11 a.m. the following day gave birth to our daughter. Yeah. Um, so had I gone home, it probably would have been a similar situation for myself. Um, but I was just very anxious going into it. I didn't feel like an active decision maker. So it wasn't even that like what happened during my birth. It was how I felt I was treated, like really yeah. affected the way that I, I felt about it. But I want um, people to hear that like, 
as we get into your second birth story, but like you took all of that information and you did something with it. You built a company with it. You built a whole new, you built a platform with it as an influencer, like, and you've designed now, I am so excited to get into your next birth story, but you designed a whole nother birth experience, right? But like for those people listening, 99%, I feel like of the, the United States, at least, if you don't, if you take the wrong birth course and you don't have the right team and you don't think about a birth map or a birth plan or the decision, who's the decision maker? Like, Gina, your first story is pretty typical when people don't have those tools. And like, that's the whole reason we do what we do, right? Like why you have Mama Stay Fit, like why I have a podcast on birth stories to teach that like there is a different way. You just got to start in a different way, you know? Absolutely. So, um, so I guess moving on yeah. to my trying to get pregnant the second time. So my daughter was about one. We decided we wanted to start trying. I had just gotten my period back. Um, so for several months, I think I just didn't have, I wasn't ovulating yet. And so we were just trying and trying and trying and like no positive pregnancy test. I was definitely getting like kind of frustrated. And then cause like all my friends were getting pregnant and um, I didn't necessarily like hold resentment or jealousy towards them. I just wanted that for myself too. So I was able to feel joy for other people, even though I wasn't having that same experience. Um, cause I had somebody that asked me like, Hey, what should I say? Or how should I share this? That I'm pregnant to my friend who had a miscarriage. And I was like, well, you really just got to understand their personality and how they handle that. Cause I, I have some friends that don't do well seeing other people have the experience that they want. Like it's just too much for them mentally. And then I have friends that are more like myself and I'm not saying that I'm better or anything by any means. It's just my personality where I can see other people experience things that I want for myself and still feel really excited for them and not hold resentment towards them. Um, and I can be around it and be okay. Um, it doesn't mean that I don't want it for myself, but like, um, I I'm okay being in an environment full of pregnant people and supporting people in birth. Um, so we got pregnant in, I think like November or December, um, of that year. So my daughter was about like a year and a half and we were super excited. We went to like Disney world. It was like really fun. And then, um, while we were at Disney world, I had some like brown spotting and I was like kind of concerned about it. Um, but like everything I Googled, cause I'm, I have a PhD at Google. Um, I didn't know if you knew that. <laughs> um, everything I Googled said, this was totally normal and it's fine. As long as it's not like bright red. Green. I was like, cool. Um, so I think looking back at it, that may have been like the start of when the miscarriage had happened, but just never like happened. Um, so at nine weeks, we decided to get an ultrasound. Um, my sister was working a labor and delivery, so I asked one of the, like the OBs to like do an ultrasound cause I was feeling kind of anxious and they couldn't find a baby. They only could find a yolk pack. We had a few more um, ultrasounds. Like I was really grateful for the care that I received. Um, this was the same hospital that I gave birth to my daughter in. Um, they like were really compassionate with me. They did multiple ultrasounds and they kind of gave me time to kind of grieve that or accept that this was happening. Um, so I was close to around like 12 or 13 weeks. So it had been about a month of like ultrasounds, like tests, see what's going on. Um, before they kind of prompted like, Hey, like this looks like a missed miscarriage. Like we have tried multiple tests. Like we just don't think there's a baby. And I was like, yeah, I think you're right. Um, so we went home and we had a miscarriage. Um, it was mostly just like confusing because I was having all these pregnancy symptoms, like things that were indicating to me that this was a normal pregnancy and it wasn't. Um, 
So we we tried like try we we started trying right away. Um, but then my husband deployed and we didn't get pregnant at that time. So um he deployed for about six months. And then when he came back in the summer, we started trying again. Um, we did, I don't think we got out the first month because he like went, he like had to travel for like a trip and it was like my ovulation time, like kind of didn't line up perfectly with it because you can only get pregnant like one day a month. <laughs> and now you know how to ovulate or when you're ovulating. <laughs> uh, um, and so when he came home, we did get pregnant again, uh, went and got blood tests right away. And uh, we unfortunately had a miscarriage like, like a few days later. Um, went to the ER when I started bleeding. I actually got pulled over on the way to the hospital because I was speeding a little bit. I wasn't trying to speed and I was just like sobbing and the, the poor like police officer was just like, just go. Oh <laughs> I was like, I was looking at a miscarriage and he was like, I can't deal with this. <laughs> um, so I didn't get a ticket, which was nice. Um, I think that would have just made the day way worse. Um, I'm surprised you so stopped. I would have just kept driving. I, I know, just follow me to the hospital. Um, and there's like a whole like... <laughs> Like highway speed chase, like I'm on TV, like just sobbing in my car. Um, so I get to the ER and I'm just like bleeding through my pants. Like I don't have a pad. Like I'm wearing like white yoga pants because that because that's what I decided was a good. I ne- never wear white yoga pants. I'm just bleeding through my pants, like just like soaking them. The nurse was really nice, right? She was like, well, "How many times have you been pregnant?" I was like, uh, I've been, I, I don't. I guess this would be four or no three at that time, and she's like, "Well," and I was like, "But I've had two miscarriages." She's like, "Well, don't count this one yet. It could be fine." And I was like, "Uh, um, it was not fine." <laughs> uh, so eventually, I went back to the, see the doctor, and he was like horrible. I like you can write like reports to the military hospital to say this doctor sucks, and you can explain why. And like I went home immediately. And went, sucks. Um, so he comes in and he's like, "Hey, why are you here?" And I'm like you didn't read my like file to be like, let me be a little considerate when I walk in this room. And I was like, well, I think I'm having a miscarriage. And he's like, yeah, it looks like you're a positive pregnancy. Your test was positive on Friday and it's negative today. So, um, yeah. And I was like, okay, thank, thank you. Thank you for breaking it to me like that. Um, and he's like, well, I'm not going to do like an internal exam. So I don't think that's necessary. And I'm like, yeah, I also agree that it's probably not necessary. And he's like, but lay down, let me check your belly. And at this point I start crying and he's like really uncomfortable. He's like, oh, well, my daughter's had four miscarriages. And I'm like, I didn't know it was a competition. Right. <laughs> like that doesn't help Congratulations. Me you have more suffering than me. Um, so overall horrible experience. I was so, like, this and dude, you're by yourself. Uh, I, my husband was there. So this he, is pre-COVID. He was definitely with, okay. So I had my husband and my daughter there and my husband was just like, like, um, so fortunately the team, the actual OB team that I worked with were like super compassionate, same team that I had for my first miscarriage. And so, um, they, you know, we did a full blood panel, like they were going to refer me to fertility to see what, like what was going on. And then I actually, we actually got pregnant like the very next month before we started all the blood work. Um, so they ended up finding that my thyroid levels were kind of, my antibodies were elevated, which is kind of like an autoimmune, like I never got diagnosed with like Hashimoto's, but it, it kind of looked like that's what I had. Okay. Um, so we did like an autoimmune paleo diet, which was supposed to help with like all the inflammation and to lower the antibody levels. And I started taking such like, um, thyroid specific, like vitamins, like, uh, selenium and like, um, like Instastol or so I, obviously I'm really good at pronouncing supplement words. (laughs) Um, so I took some stuff that was supposed to be specific for the thyroid 
And, um, but then we got pregnant right away. And so, and then the OB team was amazing. They like got me in for ultrasounds really early. I got ultrasounds like once a week to continue to check on baby. Like I got my blood work very frequently throughout the first trimester to kind of, to find out if there was going to be an issue. And then around like 12 or 13 weeks when I started my second trimester, they're like, Hey, like we don't, we're not considering you high risk anymore. Like you, you and your baby are looking great. Like we're like really happy with what we're seeing. Like, how are you feeling? Would you like to decrease the frequency of your appointments and transition to like centering, which is like the group uh, prenatal appointments. And I was like, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. Let's transition to centering. Um, so centering was like group um, prenatal visits, which was like two hour appointments. We don't have that here. I've never even Which, heard of it that. It was really cool um, until COVID happened. <laughs> so it was like me and like a group of like eight other like women and their partners, like your partners can come to the meeting and it would be like an hour of like doing our prenatal appointment where like a midwife would do each one of us and we would help each other with our vitals. So like I would do the blood pressure on someone and they would do it on me and then we'd get our weight and stuff. And then the midwife would do the fetal heart tones and like check our bellies and stuff. And then the second hour would be like education. So they would bring in like a nutritionist or like a pellet for PT or different folks would come and do like an education for about an hour. And it was essentially like us building a community with each other because we were all due the same month. And then we were getting this extra education. And then, um, so it was really cool. Like, so it was my second pregnancy. Usually it's for folks that are on their first pregnancies, but I was like, let's do it. It sounds awesome. Like I got nothing else that's going on, Um, but you couldn't bring your kids. So I did have to arrange for childcare. Um, which was easy because my parents live in the same town as me. Um, and so that was really cool until COVID happened. <laughs> and then that obviously got canceled. Um, and I essentially didn't have any appointments after my like 26th appointment, which I think was right around when COVID hit until I was like almost like 36 weeks, like with the hospital. So I had like no prenatal care for like, I felt like two months because it was just like a weird timing of what had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, like, there was tons of hospital restrictions happening. Um, like, you know, there was concern that your partner might not be able to be allowed in the hospital, that you would be completely alone. You definitely couldn't have a doula or any additional support people. I, of course, had hired like a birth photographer. I wanted a mom there. I wanted my sister there. I wanted my husband. I wanted like a whole party again. Um, and so we made the decision to transition to home birth um, because we like at this point it was March and we, were, we weren't due until June. And while we were hoping that things would be normal by June, like uh, in case anyone missed the pandemic, it was not. Yeah. <laughs> um, we didn't want to find ourselves scrambling at the last minute to like change our birth plan um, and then potentially not be able to. And so we wanted to transition before, um, like before things got too crazy. But even um, so- after your last experience with your daughter, you were like, I'm going to go back to that hospital and birth. There again. Yeah. And, it, and the reason why was because my care with my um, miscarriages was mm-hmm. so phenomenal. Yeah. My like initial care with this pregnancy was phenomenal. Like I really, it really loved the doctors that were supporting me. I really loved the midwife that delivered my daughter. Like I had a really good prenatal care experience with them. And yeah. so like, and I've had so many good experiences with them as a doula too. And so yeah. I knew that my situation was unique, like to that midwife was having a really shitty day and I just happened to be the patient that she did not want to deal with. Yeah. (laughs) And I wasn't, I was not like an unruly patient. Like I was super submissive, like whatever you want to do, just need me. So had Um, you become a doula like in between all of this? Yes. So at this point I had been a doula for 
probably about a year, maybe two years. Okay. No, two years at this point. I had been a doula for that's, about two years. That's like the story gap that I'm missing. Okay. So you like had okay, this experience. Yes. So when my daughter was about a year, um, so when my daughter was born, I started Mama Stay Fit. Um, okay. Like a few months after she was born. And, um, it was primarily just fitness for the first year. And then one of my clients asked me to be her doula. Um, so I said, sure. And so I went to, um, a doula workshop and I became a, a certified doula, um, a doula, my doula, actually, um, her father got super sick, like right after I went through my certification. And so she needed someone to attend all her birth for her. So I was able to get certified really fast because okay. of that. Um, so it like, even though like she may not have been like the perfect doula for me. Like she's a great doula and she's a great doula for a lot of people. Um, having had that relationship with her was like really important to my building as a doula because she like mentored me and like gave me clients when her dad was really sick to kind of boost my experience level, like really fast. So I had attended like 12 births, like within like two months of being a doula, ah, that's um, a lot. which is like phenomenal, like very unheard of and very uncommon. Um, and Especially so because with her, a one-year-old. Like, yeah. Um, so before I even attended my actual client who wanted me to attend a birth, I already had attended like six births at this point. Um, and then I just kind of continued with it. And it just made sense that this was the next step for mama stay fit was to support this, like in between prenatal and postpartum. Um, then we started the childbirth education and it's just kind of expanded from there. Um, and so then with my son, I had been a doula for about a year and a half when we got pregnant with him. And so I had a lot of experience in different hospitals around the area. Um, we were still on insurance that made us have to give birth in the military hospital, but I was having a really good experience there. So I was, okay. I was good with giving birth there until COVID happened. And then I was not wanting to give birth in any hospital because, um, because of the, the personnel restrictions, like not yeah. because I was anti-hospital because I wanted to have control over who was going to be at my birth. Um, and so it worked out because the midwife that I really wanted to use normally goes on vacation in June. So I wouldn't have been able to hire her normally. Okay. Um, her She canceled her vacation because like no one's traveling during COVID, like especially at the beginning of it. And she's like, yeah, I've got the full month available. And I was like, yes, let's do it. Um, awesome. So I would not have normally been able to get a midwife like at that late. Point, but because she normally went on vacation during that month, like I was able to book her. And I was like, put me on your books. Let's do this. You want what, what? How much money do you need? Just take it all. Um, had you so attended did, a home birth with her as a doula? I did, I did attend okay. a few home births with her. So that's why okay. I was like, I need you in my life. Okay. Um, and I actually had a few clients that switched from a hospital to home birth because of COVID. And they, she ended up being their midwives as well. So it was okay. kind of neat um, getting to like work with her as a, as a patient slash doula. Okay. Um, so we were fortunately able to get a midwife. And so that was really cool. And it was a, a really different experience than with my daughter. Um, so like, and it was like, like, I like could not have planned a better birth. Like I am like kind of nervous for this next one. Cause like my son's birth was like picture perfect other than I felt pain. Like I was still hoping that maybe I wouldn't feel pain. Um, like it was just the perfect. So I woke up after a full night of sleep. I was having mild contractions and I was like, so my, one for my daughter, it was the same thing. I woke up after like a full night of sleep and started having contractions. And then we just like casually like hung around the house in the morning. My sister brought breakfast and we like ate breakfast, like casuals together in between my mild contractions. We went for some walks. Like my friend came over and gave me a massage in my bed. Like, 
Um, so I had all these people that were like so excited to come and support me that would kind of just come in at different points during the day to like provide a specific thing of support. Um, and then my midwife like had stopped by like several times throughout the day to check on me because I was actually supposed to have a prenatal appointment that day because it was um, the day after my due date. Um, and so she came and checked on me a few times. She was just let us know when you're when this is you know picking up. You know. And, um, so right before we went for like our last walk, I was like, mm, I think it's, I think it's time to, to call her tell her to come on back. Um, so we came back from the walk and that's when I started to really transition into more active labor. Um, she was like, do you want to get in the tub? And I was like, yes, let's get in the tub. And she was like, can I just check you just to make sure like you're not about to have a baby. So that way we could prep the equipment. And I was like, yeah, I would like to know where I'm at too. And then she didn't say anything. And I was like, oh my God, I'm still three centimeters. Um, cause which is, which is what I was in the morning because <laughs> I had asked her to check me in the morning. And then I was like, oh, so now I'm like starting to freak out. And she's like, no, 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 you're like five or six. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so I went in the tub. I didn't love it. Um, and I think it was because I felt very alone. So I, I wish I had had my husband come in the tub with me or start counter pressure much earlier, but I just kind of felt like I was floating by myself and I was getting like really hot. Um, so I got out, continued to labor, like in my bedroom, got in the shower for a little bit. And in the shower is when I started contemplating, like, right, how far is the hospital? Like, can I still get in with the girls? Like, I don't really want to do this anymore. Like, this is horrible. Transition. And, um, and I was in transition because my sister was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know. And she was like, you're in transition. And I, like, didn't, obviously didn't tell me until later. And, yeah, and I knew too. I was like, I'm totally in transition. And what was really cool was, um, so like we all move intuitively to create space in our pelvis for baby. And so this is why like the less interruptions you have with your lever, the better, because it allows you to kind of connect with your own experience. So folks will always ask me like, can you just tell me what positions to do like during labor to like open my pelvis? And I was like, well, really? Like you're going to do them. And then like, I can enhance the ones that you're already doing. So just move and then I'll tweak it. Um, and so I felt myself like shifting a lot side to side. And I was like, am I doing this because I know that that means baby's engaged in my pelvis or am I doing it because baby's engaged in my pelvis? Is it because I think and I want baby to be or is it because baby is? Um, so I was like in my head, like contracting, like, Ooh, thinking all this stuff. And, um, so I'm in the shower and I'm starting to like quarter squat and I'm like, man, I just feel lots of pressure, but I don't know what this is. Like, this is weird. Um, cause I didn't feel it with my daughter cause my epidural was so strong. Like I never felt pressure and I was like, it just feels like something's there. And then I get out of the shower and I'm just like <laughs> sobbing, like, I don't want to do this. Like, I'm so tired. And then it was like, <laughs> like pretty much instantly. And the whole room's like, you could just feel the excitement in the room. Um, so I, I probably like bared down spontaneously for like 10 minutes. And then I was like, I need to lay down. Like I'm, I'm fighting this because I'm standing and it's like, it's very overwhelming, a very overwhelming sensation. And for some people, it's not that overwhelming. For me, I was like, I need to sit. I need to lay down. Like, I cannot relax with these. And so I, I actually, I think I was like side lying slash maybe a little on my back. And I, but that was the position where I could just relax with and just let my body work. Um, so we ended up just delivering my son on the bed. My husband caught him, which was exactly what we wanted. Uh, my, my husband's father was not present in his life when he was young. Like, so he wasn't even at his birth. And so it was like kind of monumental for us that the first person to touch my son was my husband, um, to be like, you know, I'm going to be a part of my son's life kind of thing. Um, and so he brought him directly to my chest and we just kind of hung out all together, just like relaxing. 
um, after the, after delivery, just as a family. And then, um, like a little bit later, like I got in the shower and like they clean up the house and then, I mean, not my whole house, like my bedroom yeah. and all the birth supplies. <laughs> Um, and then they went home and they didn't come back until like the next day to come and check, like the next evening to come and check on us. Um, and my son slept like the entire night, which was crazy. Cause in the hospital, like they wake you up, like every, I felt like 30 minutes to be like, are you alive? Can we do your vitals? Like turning, like I've seen some TikToks that are like swooshing the curtain open, like flicking all the lights on. They're like, here to do your vitals. And so I felt exhausted in the hospital postpartum. And so this was like super confusing to me because I, I like went to my husband and I was like, I'm really tired. I just really want to sleep for a few hours. Like, can you like just hold him? And cause I don't think he's just going to lay down. And so, and I, I slept like all night and I woke up and I was like, where's, where's the baby? Like what happened? And he was like, he just slept. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then like, and then the next night he was like, just kidding. Like I, I wake up. <laughs> right. Now um, I'm his hungry. First night, he, just, he just slept like pretty much felt like the whole night. It was, it probably was like four hours, but it felt like a whole night. Yeah. Um, and it was like amazing to just be at home. Like the people that I, that I wanted to come by, came by, like brought food. Like, so my postpartum plan was a lot more solid this time around as well. Like my husband got like three weeks off, like we had food planned, like people were like donating like gift cards to like a catering company that's local to us. Um, like that's what all my friends decided to do as like meal trains for me. Um, with my daughter, it was like, my husband went back to work like two days later because his his unit was not as accommodating to, um, maternity leave. And so I was just like by myself. And then even though my sister and mom and dad all live in town, they just thought they all, they all kind of thought someone else was with me. And so they were just continuing about their days. And so I was just like at home by myself with the baby, like guys, guys. <laughs> um, so with my son, it was like the postpartum experience was like completely different. Cause we had prepared a lot better for it. Like we knew, okay, these people, because, and even my sister and mom were like, wow, we suck. We should have been there for you. And I was like, I mean, it's okay. I didn't want to say anything about it though, but I was super lonely. (laughs) Um, so everyone like wanted to redeem themselves for my poor postpartum experience with my daughter. And so they were all like over the house all the time. Like my sister was like taking my daughter to go do stuff with my husband was able to like kind of handle like the day to day in the home. My mom was helping to clean and cook. And then I just got to focus on resting and like cuddling with my baby. Um, so it was definitely like a completely different birth experience and postpartum experience, um, probably due to one, like better preparation and better just knowledge base that's next time around. Um, choosing a very specific birth team, although I had a really positive prenatal experience with the team that I was with. Um, initially the, the hospital restrictions were just too much and it, and it kind of affected like the care that they can provide. Um, so I was glad that we were able to switch to a home birth, which is something that I had wanted to do, but felt like very like, well, I don't know if we can afford it. Um, cause a lot of it's out of pocket, um, here in North Carolina, cause our insurance did end up covering like probably like 75% of it, but you have to pay wow. up front and then they reimbursed. Wow. Um, About a rough, like, do you know what a rough estimate is? I mean, I know this is particular to your area and I'm talking to a global um, audience. For us, I think it was like 4,800 was how much it costs for a home birth, which includes all your prenatal care and all your postpartum visits. So I had like six postpartum visits, um, which is really different from what you get in the hospital. You get one, which is like a high five, like congrats, see you later. Um, and so, so that included all of that. And what we ended, we ended up getting back like 3000 
I think from insurance. Like that's amazing. Really nice. An epidural um, is like five thousand dollars. Yeah, it's just the epidural. Um, so we're really, we're really. So I like have a, a different understanding of insurance, like as a military spouse or as a, as military dependent, and because of military insurance, like we don't have the same like deductible type stuff like with the insurance that we had where like, I don't leave the hospital with a bill. Like I pay nothing for my daughter's birth other than like my husband's service. That's amazing. (laughs) Um, Yes. And that is, and and that's pretty typical for like military, like birth experiences is you don't pay anything. Like I think some folks paid like $20 for like the meal that they ate. Um, But so that's kind of our, how our insurance works. And so when I hear like civilian insurance, like you still owe like five or $10,000 after you give birth. I'm like, you do what? How do you have so many children? (laughs) Payment Um, plans. (laughs) um, Yeah. So very different birth experiences. I think a lot to do with uh, my preparation for both of them was very different. Like um, who I chose to be at my birth was like kind of the same, but a little different. Like I was a little bit more particular on like who was going to be there. Um, And then my postpartum experiences were super different just based on the, the care that I had chosen to get. Um, and so again, hospital birth is not bad. Like home birth is not better by any means. Um, but for me, like the experience was really different, um, and different enough to where like, we're choosing to have a home birth again for this next pregnancy with the oh, same midwife. Um, we'll have pretty much the same team, like assembled for it. My daughter really wants to be, she was, she was a part of my early labor. Um, and then during active, I was like, you need to go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but she's going to be, uh, like five and a half for this one. And so, um, I think she, she really wants to be like a really active part of it. And she's like, can we have a baby at home? Like, I want to have my, I want the baby to be born at home so I can help. Um, so I think she'll be a little bit more active of a part of it. and might do some doula training with her. Um, and I have like pictures of her, like rubbing my back and stuff, which was like really sweet. Um, I think my son will probably be the one that is taken away because he'll, he'll be like two and a half ish. So he might be helpful. He might be more like, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But with her, we read like a home birth book. Like there was like a children's storybook. So we read that a lot. We watched like YouTube videos, like beforehand of babies crowning and being born. So she had like an understanding of it. And she was like really excited by it. Like, I would not say that she was traumatized in any way. She was there when her brother was actually born and she was like, my baby brother's coming to play with me. And I was just like, oh, why are you so adorable? So cute. Um, so it was cool to have like, you know, all the kids were like on the bed with me as my son was being born. Like my mom, my husband and my sister were there. Like the midwife and her birth assistant were there. And then I had a photographer. Um, that was there. And so it was like really cool to have like complete control over who was going to be in the room. Cause for my first birth experience, like things that made it a more negative experience was based on the specific people that I had no control over being there. Like that midwife that I had for my first birth sucked. Like she was not in a good place emotionally to, to support me and my birth. The nurse that I first had sucked. Like she was not like, not sucked as a person, but in that experience, she was not very helpful. Yeah. Um, but then the people I had during the daytime were great. And then that one random attending who was like, let's get it at you. And I'm like, let's get it at you. Yeah. Um, so it's like the people that I didn't have control over being in the room, like made, a, made an impact on my experience. And so it was nice to have complete control over who was going to be there. Like, you know, you're not coming to my house. Some people would like text me, like, can I come? I'm like, it's not a party. Like, <laughs> no, you can't come. <laughs> but it is like, it is an energetic 
experience and journey and the people that are in that are invited into that space even if you're in a hospital like it's an invitation to walk into that room I mean it can change the dynamic of how the birth goes absolutely so I'm so excited that you're choosing a home birth for your next one also you mentioned that your sister Roxanne who lives in California right now who is your business partner with Mama Stay Fit. She, you said she's moving back here also to Fort yeah, Bragg. So she'll be moved. She'll be back here in like December of this, the end of this year. Um, but for the birth, she's going to fly out for like a month okay. to like be here. Um, so it'll be just a house full of like small children. Um, and we'll probably like, we'll designate someone to be like the child person who like yeah takes them and puts them somewhere else uh, while we are laboring, <laughs> which is what we did last time. We just sent my daughter and niece like upstairs to go play while like I was in a more active labor where I was like, I'm not really feeling small children right now <laughs> like, who are like screaming and stuff. Uh, but I think my daughter for this next birth, she's, she's going to be a little bit older and she's like really excited and she's really good at following direction. Um, I think she's going to be I think she'll be a more active part and I think she'll be really excited to be a part of it. Um, we'll see about my son. He might just be there like at the very beginning and at the very end, maybe, um, we'll, we'll put swimsuits. I, I I'm like really wanting to give birth in the tub this time. I didn't make it last time. Uh, we were in my bedroom and the tub was like in the kitchen just based on the hose attachment. And I was like, once I started burying now, like we ain't making it. <laughs> like, we're, we're having this baby right here. Yep. Um, <laughs> So I'm like, I would like to get birth in the tub next time. So maybe I'll put like little swimsuits like on them. I was going to say, and just don't get into the tub too early because that's yeah. when you get hot and lonely. Like get into the tub after transition and then kind yeah. of like, like people always the say, when do I get a little off for me. Yeah. Overall, it was, it was like what I would describe. It was like exactly what I wanted, uh, which is like crazy because you can't plan for birth. Like things are unexpected, but it was like. I really wanted to wake up in the morning, like in labor, like be in my early labor for however long I am and then have a short active labor, which is what I had for my first was like, like a three hour active labor. And both my sister and I have the same active labor time frame. It's like three hours. It's like active, which I'm going to be super disappointed when it's more than that this next time. Uh, <laughs> three is the wild heard, card. Yeah. So I heard the third is kind of the wild card. So <laughs> it's either going to be super fast or like really long. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it is, um, it's so crazy. I'm like, we're either going to have a baby in an hour. Like you wake up and 45 minutes later, you have a baby or like, I don't have any time to call anybody yeah. um, or it's going to be like four days. I know. Or um, they're like OP and they take forever. Prodromal labor goes on and yeah, on and on. Like, you know, I don't even know what to expect for this, um, yeah. but it was, it was really cool to have like, you know, I wanted my friend to come over to give me a massage. Like we did like a mother's blessing beforehand. So we had like uh, string bracelets and like everyone who came like, got on video chat and we cut them together when my labor was like for real happening. Oh, that's um, it's like a way to like put out like this positive energy for me and my labor. So it was like, it was cool to have all of this support. Um, and I think a lot of it came from just having a ch child already. Like all my friends are moms now, like they all have an understanding of labor and of pregnancy and of birth. And so we're just in a different mindset from my first pregnancy where I was the only one out of my friends who had a baby. And so we're just like, you're just not in that mindset of, oh, pregnancy is a big deal. Labor is a big deal. Giving birth is a big deal. And so like you experience it and then you're like, oh, wow, this is like a really big deal. And so then all of your friends have babies and they're like, this is a huge deal. Let's all celebrate it together. So I think part of that is why the two births are a little different too. It's just the support that I had based on like 
my age. And I mean, I was 27 or 28 for the first. So it wasn't like I was like really young or anything, but like my friend group, I was the only one that had a baby. And then, but for my second birth, like everyone had a baby. And so, um, (laughs) it just changes the dynamic of like how, what people understand based on their own personal experiences. It does. And social media, which you're a big part of in influencing helps spread education and awareness, you know, and you play a big role in that. So that like anyone who follows your account is probably not going to have a similar story that you had with your daughter because they're educated and informed and maybe they've taken one of your courses, you know, to, to get prepared for it. So, um, before we go, Gina, I've got a question from the audience, Katie Freddy, that um, wanted to know as a birth doula and she's pregnant in New York and she had asked, uh, there's all these Instagram posts about Kiko, like putting your knees in and your calves out. But she was asking if we felt like um, that that was something that parents do intuitively without being told to do that. And um, I was wondering what your thoughts were on that, that we know that Kiko gives the pelvis so much more room. Um, But when like when you were laboring, did you feel like your body wanted to intuitively do that? Or do you feel like it's better when someone has an epidural? Um, No, I definitely think that we intuitively create more space for pelvis. Um, I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding of like when to do like knees and ankle thought. Like so it specifically opens the bottom of the pelvis or the outlet. And so baby has to get underneath the pubic bone before it makes sense to open that space. And so this is typically like baby's about to crown kind of like, cause you know, like once baby gets underneath the pubic bone, like they're coming like at that point. Um, so that's when knees and ankles out tends to make the most sense. And probably when most folks are going to kind of intuitively come to it, because not only does bring the legs a little bit closer together, decrease just kind of the tension or the surface tension of the perineum, which is going to decrease tearing. Um, it's going to open that pelvic outlet more. So if baby is not yet underneath that pubic bone and they're technically still like the lower mid pelvis, you may just kind of favor more asymmetrical type pushing positions where, um, yeah. So essentially like the less you interrupt somebody's birth, like the more that they're going to do their intuitive movement. Um, like, but when we start pushing, usually people are having a lot of directions being pushed at them. So like, if I tell a client like, Hey, it's time to push, or do you feel this contraction coming and they push? Like they're going to put their shoulders down and back. They're coming into a more neutral spine position because that allows for better pressure management. So they're able to generate more pressure within their abdominal cavity, which makes their pushes more effective. So we're not just using muscular force. We're using the combination of pressure and muscular force to push, uh, which is going to be more effective. Um, The next thing that they do is they probably bring their knees a little bit closer together, or maybe they favor a little bit more on one side versus the other. Um, And so, yeah, the less you interrupt somebody, the more that they're going to do intuitively what makes more sense to them. Like our understanding of pelvic biomechanics, we can enhance things. So if I see someone doing something, that's one, my clue where baby is for them, like where, what part of the pelvis they're trying to open based on watching the movement mechanics that they do. And then I can enhance it. So if I see somebody that's really favoring tucking their butt underneath, I know that baby's not yet engaged and baby's trying to rotate to get underneath um, or to get underneath that super palmatory to enter into the inlet of the pelvis. And so I'm going to help them get into positions that mimic those movement patterns, especially if I see they're getting kind of tired or, um, they, they want a little bit more like, Hey, like, you know, you're really favoring this like butt tuck underneath, like really wide knee squat. Like, why don't we try it on the ball and you can hold on to this. And when you have a contraction, you just kind of roll the butt underneath and you can spread the knees wide and this is a little more supportive. Um, or, you know, I see that you're really favoring a sway, like let's put a stool underneath your foot and that's going to enhance that asymmetrical positioning of your pelvis more toward that side that you seem to be favoring as well and see how that feels. 
Like, how does that feel? Do you, you like this position? And they're like, yes or no. And then adjust from there. Um, so I just watch how people move and then I enhance it if I need to. And like, if, like, I don't always need to, like some of the time I'm just sitting there, like, like, I don't like as dealers, like we don't need to necessarily prove that we're necessary because that attempt to prove that we're necessary or that we're important or a, a vital part of this experience just interrupts someone's like ability to leave her. I mean, obviously there are times where like, there's a need to interrupt, like, Hey, we're noticing an issue, like contraction patterns looking kind of funky. Like you're feeling some sensations as a clue to me that there's malposition. Like let's take a more, more direct approach. Um, but like, sometimes it's just letting someone do their thing. So do I think knees and ankles out is like a vital part of pushing? Absolutely. I think it's more important when someone's crowning or baby is underneath the pubic bone, just based on where they are until then, like it's actually more of that lower mid pelvis where we're favoring more of that knees and ankles out on the side that baby's on usually left. Um, and then the right side is just kind of there. Um, so yeah, hopefully yeah. that answers your question. <laughs> awesome. No, that's super helpful. Okay. Then the last question is, um, and I've gotten this question a lot too, and it's hard, but it was of all of the like different segments that you have in your business, what is the one piece of your business that like sets you the most, like sets your soul the most on fire that you get like the most excited about? Um, oh man, that's hard. Cause there's a lot of, we have so many different elements. I would say like, um, I don't know, man. Uh, so childbirth education, we definitely get a lot of like positive feedback from where people share our stories with them or share their stories with us about how like they felt so informed. And even if they're like, well, I didn't necessarily get the exact birth that I wanted. I, uh, you know, I felt really informed about the whole experience. So still a positive experience. Like even, even the ones that are like, you know, I ended up with a C-section and maybe that wasn't my plan, but I felt very informed throughout the whole experience. Um, and so it's really nice to hear how we're impacting people with providing childbirth education. Cause I think like that preparation part has a bigger role than anything else. And then like, we have the fitness aspect where like people come back and they're like, I feel so much stronger than I've ever felt in my life during pregnancy. The pain I used to have, I don't have anymore. Even in the postpartum, they're like, I'm lifting more than I did before. And so it's really cool for people to like come back after using some of our products and our courses and programs and say, Hey, I feel so much stronger right now. And this is awesome. Or I feel so much more empowered and this is awesome. Um, so I guess that, I, I think that was everything that we offered. But <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, I was like, it's really hard to pick. That people are like, this made a difference in my life. Like, makes everything worth it. Even if they only use our free content, I'm like, whatever, dude, like, I don't care. Like you want to just browse my Instagram to get all the information. You can, like, it's there. You want to just read our blog and get all the information. You can like maybe buy a t-shirt or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we provide the free, we provide so much free information because we want to make it accessible. Like there's, you don't have to have a lot of money. Like our courses are also not super expensive, um, but you don't have to have money to be able to afford this education. Um, so. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm just so thankful for what you do. I'm really thankful that my doula clients and my followers get to follow you um, and your sister and really just and, and devour all of the things Mama Stay Fit. And these birth stories were so helpful to the listeners on like what birth can be and what it you know, should be. And then when you're not prepared, what it could look like also. So um, what are all of the ways in which we should? So if there's somebody that isn't currently following you, where do you want them to connect with you? I would say the best place to connect with us is our Instagram. So it'd be um, our handle is just mama stay fit. 
um, which I'm sure you'll tag in like the story notes and stuff. Oh, wow. Some people spell it, spell it wrong. Um, <laughs> and we have a blog as well. It's just mamasafefit.com slash blog would probably be another place to get a ton of great information. Um, on our website has all of our childbirth education courses. We have different like tiers of childbirth education, depending on the information that you're wanting. We have the complete course. We have a condensed version. We have just a labor induction. We have a pushing. Um, we also have all our fitness programs on there as well. We have prenatal, postpartum. We have a C-section one. Um, and then we also have sports specific programs. So if you have specific sports goals, like you want to get back to Olympic weightlifting or like CrossFit, or you want to get back to running, like we have specific programs for that. Um, and then we also have courses for professionals. So we have a birth workers course, um, which is going to be a deep dive into like labor biomechanics and kind of the, the evidence surrounding like supporting birth. So it's definitely way more in depth than like a weekend doula class. And it's for doulas, labor and delivery nurses, like particularly um, but if you're like a provider or like a physical therapist and you work with this population, it could be helpful. Cool. Um, and then we also have our fitness trainers course, which is going to take a deep dive into how we approach uh, fitness training. Cause it's definitely more than just a list of exercises that are safe for pregnancy. Like it's a lot more in depth where it's like, these exercises are going to help you prepare to find these labor positions during birth. These exercises are going to help you stay comfortable throughout birth because it helps to stabilize your pelvis. Like these exercises are focused on this. So it's definitely a lot more in depth than like, no, there's no sit-ups in this, like, which is what I kind of find with some prenatal programs where like, there's no sit-ups. So it's a prenatal program. It's like, well, we could do more with it, um, which is what we do. So. Awesome. Okay. Well, I will link to everything in the show notes. Gina, you are busy. All the things you just listed, <laughs> two babies earth side, one in your belly, like congratulations. I hope that you have a wonderful pregnancy and delivery at home. And um, I know you're very busy. So I appreciate you taking time to be on the birth story podcast today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being part of the birth story family and listening to this episode. On Tuesdays, every week, our doula diaries, little snippets and tidbits from my week, along with some teaching and education. And then on Thursdays, we meet here for our birth stories and our expert speakers. So thank you for being here and listening to the podcast twice a week. And if you are left wanting more, like Heidi, I've listened to all the episodes, I've read your entire book, then I hope you will meet me in Birth Story Academy and let me be your online childbirth educator to prepare you for your hospital birth, no matter what that looks like. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like.